So today is a Father's Day sermon, but it's going to apply to every single one of us, whether you're watching online or even at another date. Uh, this sermon is something that you can put into your life, and I believe it'll make an impact. Now, I'll aim it at the fathers today, but again, it can hit everybody in here. And so I'm talking about the heart of, we're in a heart series, I'm talking about the heart of a giant killer. We're going to take a look at David's life and some of the things that he did to take out the Goliaths and take out the giant in his life. There's seven things that I'll give you that we see from that story uh, that allowed David to literally be somebody who took down Goliath. And so whatever that means for you in your life, but I hope you get out some notepads and your Bibles and get ready to take notes because I believe there's a lot that God wants to stay in here. But to the guys today, I will say this to you. There's one thing that I believe Michael Jordan uh, says that really resonates with me. And they talk about how hard he was on his teammates. Some people consider Michael Jordan to be the greatest basketball player of all time. I think he's up there. But uh, People ask him, why were you so hard on your teammates? They were famous. He was famous for being so hard uh, on his teammates. And uh, he said, well, look, uh, I'm so hard on my teammates because I believe in them and I want to see the best come out of them. And so he just didn't settle for them settling. He just said, I know what they're capable of. And so when it comes to these Father's Day sermons, I I tend to be very upfront and very honest and maybe kind of tell it the way it is to the guys, but it's because it's kind of the Michael Jordan thing. I know what you men, I know what us men are created to be and what God's design is for us. And I want to see you be your best. Amen. So will you let me be just a little truthful and a little honest? And I love what Michael Jordan actually said after that. He said, but here's the truth. He said, I don't ask anything of any else that I'm not willing to do. And so it's the same thing. I'm preaching this sermon to myself today. And, uh, and I believe that God has created us to be giant killers. Yeah. killers. We're people called to take down the Goliaths of our culture. That's why God put men in the position that they did. You see the first thing God does with men. And he says, okay, Adam, I've created you. I've designed you. I've put you in this thing. Then he says, what? Now lead it. Take care of it. Because men are called to be leaders. I know there's like all these attacks on masculinity and stuff, but it's okay to say that men are called to lead in culture. Can I get an amen? That doesn't make them better than any women. Are you with me? Uh, the scriptures then says that he created Eve and, and, and Eve is at man's side, not behind, at our side. Are you with me? Yeah. But I'm okay saying that men are called to be leaders. Men are called to keep and set the temperature of our culture. And then in the kingdom of God, we're called to advance. It says that men go from faith to faith, glory to glory. We all do, but, but we're called to keep in advance. We're not called the lazy boy, this thing. Are you with me? But the enemy, can, he, he can't create anything. When God said, I've created everything and it's good, there was a period there. That was the end of the story. So Satan can't come in and create. He's not a creator. God is the creator. But what he can do is distort and twist. The word is pervert what God created. And so he comes in and God meant for it to be this way. And the enemy comes in and deceives us and twists. And then it's this way. So if God made man to be a leader and to be a way maker and to be somebody who cares for and advances things in the community, well, then the enemy comes in and he sets pride on men. And we get arrogant, narcissistic. You get these people that are leading with us arrogance and pride and and he twists it. And then we see great destruction. I mean, what I'm talking about. And so the enemy comes in and twists. And so, so there was a call that men have on their life to lead the way that God's called us to lead. And I'm grateful that the Bible gives us what that playbook looks like. Can I get an amen? Yeah. But there's one thing that you were designed for, whether you're, whether you're like a fighter guy or a masculine guy or you're like a dude who walks around with an ax, you're like a tough guy, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're a thinker and a strategist and a creative. The reality is every man was created and wired for battle. That's why you can't see an injustice and then just look away. There's something that begins to happen on the inside of you. 
that says, I need to get in there and I need to fix that. And I need to step in front of that bus and save that person, do that thing, because God created you to be a fighter. We see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says that for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You were wired to be a part of this battle. And women, you too, you're a part of the battle as well. But men, that's why we make battles out of everything. That's why sports is like, who's going to win? And who's got the most yards? And I did a wedding yesterday. And this is how competitive men are. This is how much they like battles. They literally created betting about everything that you could bet on in a wedding. How long the service was going to be, how long the first speech was going to be, the first day. And, and I just went up to the guys and I was like, who's got the under? Like, oh, I bet the under. And I'm like, show me some money and I'll cut some verses. I'll take scripture right out of this thing. You give me, pay it up and I can... <laughs> Men, we just like to win things. We like to battle things. So we create all this. We got fantasy football and all this stuff and faster cars and upgrade this. Because you're like, you're created to battle. And we spend our efforts sometimes on the wrong things. And I'm not against those things, but you're wired to be in this battle. You're wired to pull down strongholds. Are you with me? God created you a giant killer. But then culture has come in and said, nah, what men really are is Homer Simpson. You just go to work, come home, duff beer it, kick up, let your wife handle everything. And so it's made for great comedy and they're funny movies and they're funny shows, but it's an attack on what God really created men to be. Can I get an amen? So we're wired for battle and we see this story of Daniel who I think, or David, who I think is one of the greater, uh, of course, battle guys in scripture. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, David gets anointed as the king. The call, the commission on his life is to be king of Israel. Uh, But then just a chapter after that, he's got to face Goliath. So before there's the the commissioning, before there's the existing, all of a sudden now he's got to face a Goliath in his life in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So the scripture says that David shows up. He shows up on the scene and uh, there's Goliath. The scripture says that Goliath is, is talking trash against the people of God. He's coming in and he's actually telling them what he's going to do to them. I'm going to take over this land. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to defy the armies of God. He's just running his mouth. I'm sure it's profanity laced. And here's the army of the people of God in this valley along the side. And uh, David shows up and there's the men of war down there. and They're not doing anything. David wasn't a battle guy. He wasn't a part of the army. He's just this shepherd boy who gets sent down. Scripture says that he was actually told by his dad to bring them some cheese and crackers. He's literally the first pizza boy delivery. He's like, hey, you got to go down and bring your brother some breadsticks. And so he shows up at the valley and the scripture says that nobody's doing anything. One writer describes that David was very irritated. Nobody was doing anything. They just sat on the sidelines of the valley. They were just on the edge of these ditches, just listening to this man hurl insults at the kingdom of God. And David was very insulted. I hope that we aren't a whole bunch of ditch dads who all we do is just hang out at the ditches as as culture tries to come against the army of God. As culture tries to come against our family, as culture tries to come against the ways of God and the kingdom of God, I hope we aren't like those guys who are supposed to be in the battle and we're just kicked back on the ditches, not saying anything. Letting mom raise the kids. Letting mom, are you with me? Let mom do the devotions. We'll just let mom. Or 
We'll just send them to church. I'm going to neglect my place in the home, and I'm just going to let I'm just going to let the church raise my kids. You know, oh, you know, I'm busy and I'm building a career and I'm providing for my family. So we're just going to let children's church be the ones who instill the kingdom of God in my kids. No, no, don't be a ditch dad. Be somebody who's intentional, who comes in and gets very irritated and says, well, hold on a second. I'm not going to let school set culture for my kids. Can I get an amen? I'm not going to let social media set what's acceptable in my kids. I'm not going to be a ditch dad. I'm stepping in. Can I get an amen today? So I'm not going to allow this. I'm very irritated. I'm called to be in battle. God set me in this for a reason. He gave me these kids and these families. I'm going to be the person that God called me to be. Seven lessons we get from the heart of a giant killer. And I just want to give a cheap plug to one of our social medias real quick, or uh, summer socials. Jake uh, is going to be leading a how to face Goliath or facing your Goliath uh, for the men uh, summer social. It's coming up in July. And so I really encourage you to jump into that summer social and continue to look at how we can take out Goliath in our life. And you can find that on the app and you can find it on the website, but maybe get plugged into that one coming up in July. But point number one, write this down. Point number one, here's the seven things we know uh, about being a giant killer. Point number one is this, the heart of the giant killer understands submission. I have this sort of worry that I'm witnessing, uh, this thing that I continue to witness is because there's so much information on the internet, I see so many young people getting so full of information and knowledge and education and understanding that they get all this information but they never come into a place where they submit to anybody or any kind of authority. So now they're full of information and they got all this knowledge and they never put themselves in or under anybody that can actually hold them accountable. And so really what they're walking in is a level of rebellion. You know what I'm talking about? The scripture says that David's dad, David's dad says, Hey, David, uh, I need you to go down and bring your brothers some breadsticks. They're down there at the battle. There's some stuff going on at the valley. I need you to go down there. And the scripture says that David did it. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that uh, he arose early. We'll get to this in a minute, but he arose early and he arrived there on time. Listen, if he had said, oh, whatever, leader in my life, you authority, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll get there when I get there. Do you know that he would have missed his Goliath destiny moment? But because he was under authority and because he understood that there's value in being in submission, the scripture says that he went there and did what he was supposed to do and he stepped right into his destiny. I believe that many people are missing the calling, the assignment that God has on their life is because they're not submitted, they're not under authority, and therefore they're missing the place that they're called to be. So it's important for us to put ourselves under authority. John Bevere says it this way. He says, you're either a person under authority or you're somebody who's under rebellion. There's really no other way. You either have somebody in your life who's holding you accountable and can speak into your life, or you're somebody who's out on an island of isolation and you're setting yourself up for great danger. You know, we have all these different things here at the church, Saturday prayer, and we have men's uh, breakfast, and we have dudes donuts and devotions, and we, uh, you know, got all these ways that you can serve. We have all these things going on. And we don't put those things in place so that we just have entertainment for you. Oh, yeah, we love to go to our church because they have all these great ways that they entertain us. We do that so that we can make relationships, so that we can grow with one another and connect with one another and that we can hold each other accountable. Can I get an amen today? That's a people saying, hey, you know what? We're accountable. We're under authority with one another. And so we create these atmospheres. And I get concerned when we have people, men, I'm talking to men today. We say, ah, you know what? I just... uh, 
Saturday prayer. That's just not for me. You know, I'm busy. That's my Saturday morning. And uh, I just, I don't, I don't want to come to prayer. Uh, that's not my thing. Or men's breakfast, you know, I'm busy. My work doesn't allow that. I can't, can't come to breakfast. And, you know, dudes and donuts, you know, again, that's a Saturday. I just like to keep my Saturdays to myself. And, you know, I'd love to serve in the church, but, you know, I'm really killing it in my career. And so I need to stay focused on my work. And so, you know, I can't serve at the church. And really what you don't understand is you're describing yourself as a person who lives in isolation and you're not under submission in any way. There's no accountability. There's nobody speaking in, into your life. The reality is all of us men hear this. David was a shepherd boy who was killing it took out the lion, took out the bear. God's hand was on his life. He was anointed to be king, but he was still under submission. So here's what I want to say to you. The reality is every single one of us, men and women, we have blind spots. You know, in a car, you're driving. Let's be honest. Nobody checks even when they turn lanes anymore, right? We just go, we, not me. I'm just saying other people. But in your car, they teach you, hey, you got you to gotta get an extra thing in your life to see some places that you can't see because you have blind spots. That's what authority does. That's what being under accountability does is it gets somebody else in your life who says, whoa, hold on. You're missing a whole spot in your life. You're acting like a jerk over here. You're walking in pride. You got all this unforgiveness you need to get cleaned up. You're missing that in your blind spot. Authority and being under submission is is not to squeeze the life out of you. It's to help you live better. Can I get an amen today? And so David is a great example at the very beginning of the story. He's living in a way that he's walking in authority uh, under submission. And it was a blessing, not a burden in his life. Can I get an amen? I get people say to me all the time, oh, I don't need all that other kind of stuff in the church. I, I, uh, I, got, I got people in my life. I got people in my life. Uh, and I'm like, okay, do those people ever disagree with you? Or are they just an echo chamber that they're just always agreeing with everything you say? Because that's not accountability. That's just an echo chamber of people just agreeing with everything that you say. You, you ever notice online, if you ever go on the internet, anybody ever go on the internet? You ever notice how it's bananas? You just stare at the screen and you're like, I can't believe that they all think that's true. <laughs> anybody ever like that? <laughs> it's because they've created this little echo chamber. They're all just saying the same thing because you can get people in your life who that agree with you, whether you're right or wrong. They just agree with you. That's why the old saying says, birds of a feather flock together. Isn't it funny how just like some of those people who just agree with everything about everything, they just, they find each other and then they just flock together. It's important for you to have accountability. If you ever hear a gossip or you ever hear somebody start talking about something and they say, well, the leadership over there, I don't like this. You want to know how you can sniff out if somebody's under uh, submission or under authority? Well, I don't like this. Like that. And you say, have you gone to the leadership about that? Well, no, I didn't talk to them. Well, why didn't you go talk to the source about it? Well, I didn't want to talk to the source about it. That's a clear an obvious point that they're not under any kind of submission. They're just walking in rebellion and they want to gossip and they want to have their way. Isn't it amazing that those birds of a feather actually find each other and flock together? Moving on today. Point number two, (laughs) point number two, the heart of a giant killer is disciplined. The heart of a giant killer is disciplined. Everybody wants to be the champ. Everybody wants to have the big victory. Everybody wants to hoist hoist the trophy, but nobody wants to do the hard work. Nobody wants to see the meal. You know, they don't televise practice. They don't televise the meal regimen. They don't televise the nutrition and all the things that go into being the champion because nobody likes the discipline, but it's the discipline that gets you the championship. Can I get an amen today? The scripture says this, that he arose early. I alluded to this earlier. 
He arose early. He had a discipline in his life. He said, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to make sure I get there on time. I want to just say it this way. Lazy people will never defeat Goliath. People that just kind of hit, skip, and miss, come what may, oh, just kind of whatever, you're never going to take down a Goliath. You got to be some people who say, oh, I got this accountability in my life, and they're going to help me stay disciplined. Dads, they're going to help you stay on track. They're going to help you stick to your passion for your family, and they're going to help you stay disciplined. I wrote it down like this. Promotion comes from discipline. Everybody wants the promotion. Everybody wants to go to the next level. But you can't get to the next level unless you walk in great discipline. Scripture says it this way. If you're faithful in little, he will make you ruler over much. What's the scripture saying? If you got your discipline in place, if you got yourself walking in a strong order, then God can make you ruler over much. We see that David, he prioritized what was important and he made it first. He rose early. He said, this is what is important today. I'm making sure it happens first. If investing in your kids, dads, is important to you, it needs to be first in your calendar. It needs to be the first thing you give your passion to. Not checking on the Tigers, because I promise they've scored zero runs still, except for yesterday. I don't know where that came from. Oh, You don't get home and go, hey, what's the sports up to? What's the thing? What game is on? What are we doing? If it matters to you, you're disciplined enough to check in on your kids. How's your day, bud? How'd it go? What's going on? Blah, blah. Come with me. Let's go take the garbage out. Let's have a talk. Let's go do a thing. Why? Because you're making it priority. If your marriage matters to you, you make your wife a priority. You come home instead of saying, what's for dinner? You say, how was your day today? You want to go make out a little? I mean, whatever you think you want to... <laughs> You make it a priority. You check in. Listen, if you're not intentional, if you're not making dating your wife first, it's never going to happen. Well, we like to be spontaneous and we don't schedule anything. All right, so you don't like going on dates. Because we're just in an age where you got to prioritize and schedule things. Can I get an amen today? Same thing with your church. Oh, we love our church. We want to see God use our church. We want to be used in our church. Are you putting it first in your life? Because if I took a peek at your calendar... I hope it would be shown as first in your life. Are we going to church tomorrow? What do you think? Are we going or not going? What do you think? That should never be a conversation in your home. Your decision about how church is happening should be determined way before Saturday night. Amen, pastor. I agree. That's good. Okay. (laughs) Because we're putting it first. We say it like this all the time. Proof is in the pursuit. The proof is in, are you really pursuing it? I could say, hey, I'm going to learn to play this keyboard. Man, I'm going to play this keyboard good, too. It's going to be so good. You're going to be so impressed. I'm gonna play. And then you come up to me and say, hey, how's that keyboard playing going? Did you get a lesson? No, I haven't taken a lesson yet. Well, did you buy a keyboard? No, I haven't even bought a keyboard yet. How many know I'm not pursuing playing a keyboard? Proof is in the pursuit of it. Same thing in our schedule. We got to be disciplined. If we want to raise godly home and godly kids and have godly marriages and be a godly example in our community, we need to prioritize what that looks like in our discipline. Can I get an amen? Amen. Point number three, the heart of a giant killer overcomes low places with praise. We get in these low valleys. The scripture says that he shows up, he's in the valley, he's in a low place. And he does this amazing thing. He responds with his words with praise. What's interesting, if you go online and you try to look up the height of Goliath, 
there's a whole bunch of different answers. Some people say seven feet tall. Some people say all the way up to 12 feet tall. But there's a whole bunch of different commentaries about his height. And they say the reason there's such a variance in what they think his height was is it was based on the place that they viewed Goliath. The people that were low in the valley looked up at, when they were in a low place, they looked up at Goliath and went, he's huge. He's got to be 15 feet. Look at him up there. He's probably 15 feet tall because they were in a low place. How many know when we get in a low place, our Goliaths look a lot bigger than what they really are? Oh, I'm in this low. Oh my gosh, it's too big. It's going to overtake us. We're we're not going to get out of this. But David says this. He says, you come with the sword and the shield, but I come in the name of the Lord. From his low place, he speaks out about his God. He puts praise on his lips. You know, the valley uh, that he was in was called Judah, which means praise. Even though Goliath was filled with threats and insults and speaking things at him in a low place, he responded in a praise place. Dad, it's easy for us to be negative. Come home, oh, this is wrong, because we're fixers. We need to fix things. So you come in, you see all the things wrong. This is, no, oh, I hate the, why is this like this? And we're kicking the dog and we're mad about the things. And, uh, but if we can be a people, when we get in that low place, we say, you know what? I come in the name of the Lord, and he's gone before me, and he makes crooked, crooked paths straight. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? We put that praise. That's how we defeat our giants. The scripture says that he got louder and louder as he shouted. It's just like home court advantage in sports. If you watch any sports and it's an intense game, you see on the LCD, the LED boards, they start, they start getting the crowd to yell more. They say, louder, get louder, get louder. Because if we can get louder, we have an advantage. Can I get an amen today? Point number four is this. The heart of a giant killer keeps focused on the reward. A good heart of the giant killer is a person who keeps focused on the reward. The scripture says three times, David asked those around him, Hey, what's the reward for the person who kills Goliath? Hey, tell me again, what's the reward? I'm a shepherd boy. I'm coming over here. I'm going to go battle this guy. Tell me again, what's the reward? And the reward was, scripture said he was going to get a lot of money. He was going to be rich in money. He was going to get to marry the king's daughter, and he was going to pay no taxes. So money, honey, and no taxes. It was a good deal. And so he said, like, remind me. Tell me again what we're fighting for. Tell me again why I'm going after this. And I believe that we get in seasons where we have to remind ourselves what we're focusing on. We got a a lost and hurting and dying and broken world and our culture is so confused. And we got to come into these places and remind each other, hey, we got Goliath to slay out there, but let's tell each other what it's about again. Let's remind each other it's summer. Oh, it's summertime. It's beautiful. What a beautiful Sunday morning. What a great Sunday to skip church. We've got to remind ourselves, oh, hold on, wait a second. What's it about? It's about coming together and encouraging one another. I thought about the setup team today, sitting in the chairs that you're sitting in. They came in, set these up, 7 o'clock in the morning on a beautiful Sunday morning. Why in the world would you do that? Because they're keeping the reward in mind that somebody's going to come and hear the word of God and be set free. Can I get an amen? That's why we show up to Saturday morning prayers. There's a lot of things you can do on a Saturday morning. You can set a tea time and go golfing instead of Saturday prayer. Or you could say, you know what? It's Saturday morning and I'm remembering what the reward is going to be. And I'm going to come in here and I'm going to pray the price for behalf of my community. Can I get amen? amen? Or summer socials. Oh, man, the church has got all those groups going on. A pastor wants us to get together and connect and do all the summer socials. And we're so busy. I really wish that. But if you remind yourself, you know what? I might go one of those socials. And I might meet somebody that needs a little bit of hope that night. 
and I can connect with them and pray with them and speak into them. We've got to remind ourselves of the reward. Point number five is this. The heart of a giant killer will never fake it. Saul said, hey, David, won't you use my armor? Here, just take this and why don't you put this on and use my sword and go in and face it. And David's like, I can't do that. I can't fake this thing. David understood that God won't bless who we pretend to be. Guys, you can't fake it. You can't live off just my sermons. You got to go get your own word from the Lord. You got to get your own armor. You got to develop your own self all throughout the week. So he said, I I can't do it. I can't do it in your stuff. I got to go with what God has done in my life, which is interesting because it wasn't very impressive with what he was trying to roll out. He said, no, I got to do it with my own stuff. His own stuff was a sling and a few rocks, which is a modern day BB gun. At that time, he said, no, I think I'm good. I'm going to go with my stuff. And they're like, the BB gun? The BB gun? You were going with the BB gun? But he understood that God can do more with what God gave him than trying to do it in somebody else's stuff. We got to be authentic, guys. Are you with me? So then Saul goes to him and goes, so, okay, you're going to run with the BB gun. Why should I let you do this fight? He's like, well, let me tell you why. It's because I have a history of God coming through for me. I've seen God do things in my life with what he gave me. You weren't there, Saul, when I defeated the bear. You weren't there when I defeated the lion. Because of his private, intimate moments, he understood that he would have public breakthrough. I wrote it down like this. It's what David did when nobody was looking that brought breakthrough with Goliath. He knew that there would be a reward because of his character when nobody was looking. He paid the price in private. He was legit when nobody was looking, and God made him legit when everyone was looking. He said, this is what God has brought me through, and this is what I've done, and I'm going to be authentic to this, and God broke through. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says it this way. Righteous men walk with integrity. His children are blessed after him. When we get it right in private, God rewards us for generations. He saved his people because in his private moments, he trusted the Lord and he was authentic to who God made him to be. Verse, or point six, the heart of a giant killer is determined. The heart of a giant killer is determined. The scripture says that he took five stones. He didn't do the old church like, well, I tried one time. I brought one stone. No, he's like, I'm bringing five. And if I miss, I'm going to try again. And if I miss, I'm going to try again. Because we're the people that we pray one time. Well, the Lord didn't answer my prayer. Or we try to instill something in our kids and they still act crazy. And we go, well, the Lord didn't help me with my kids. And then you try to cast demons out of your kids and they still act demonic. (laughs) But we try one time. The Lord wasn't with me. David said, no, I'm going to load up here. I'm going to get ready to do this thing. Can I get an amen? Amen. He used his past battles for belief in his victory instead of belief in a failure. Many of us go, oh, I can't take out this Goliath because last time I tried, this bad thing happened. He said, no, I can take out that Goliath because last time I was in a battle, my God was with me. Can I get an amen? So just because one prayer or one fast or one of those things don't work for you doesn't mean you stop. It means you stay after it. Reggie Miller, uh, he's a Hall of Fame basketball player. He's a commentator for the NBA Finals, and he made this comment during the NBA Finals this uh, week. He said that championships are won 
within your worst quarters as a team. He said the teams that make it and win the championships are the ones that say, oh no, we're in a bad quarter. And instead of going, oh, we're in a bad quarter. Look at us. We fell behind. Look at it. We're in foul trouble. Look at, we're going to lose this game. No, they said, you know what? I'm going to stay determined. This is just a bad quarter, but we got a fourth quarter coming. How many know what I'm talking about? And instead of quitting, instead of, they just said, we're going to stay in it. We're going to stay. And those that can win their worst quarters are the ones that usually go on to win the championship. I hope that is true about believers. Can I get amen? I'll close with this. Point number seven is this. The heart of a giant killer brings the victory home. The heart of a giant killer brings the victory home because of the way the valley was made. This would have had a stadium type effect to it. Goliath's crew on one side, the people of God on the other, but there would have been a real noisy effect to it as everybody gathered to see what was going to happen. So there would have been great effect, a great scene to this. David hits him with the stone. He falls down and everybody's, oh, what's going on? And so David's like, it's not just enough for him to fall. I'm going to defeat this thing forever. I don't want just one shot. I'm going to end this thing forever. So because it's Father's Day, I get to talk about this in the grotesque way that it's deserved. But it says that David rolls out there, climbs on top of Goliath, takes his own sword, shoves it down in his throat from the top, and begins to cut his head off like this. Just working that thing back and forth, cuts his head off, which of course is nice Sunday afternoon conversation. (laughs) But he wanted to make sure that everybody could see this thing's been truly defeated. This thing that tried to defy the army of God and come against the people of God. He wanted everybody to know and see that this thing was ended. Then the scripture says he takes a pole, sticks the head on a pole, and begins to march it around town. Look at this victory that I have. Bloody, gross, probably bearded, nine feet tall, dude's head. And he's saying, look it, it's over. I've defeated addiction. I've defeated anger. I've defeated bitterness. It's over. And he parades it around, the victories of what God did. I wish the people of God would walk their victories around town a lot more than we do. I wish we'd talk of the goodness of God out on a pole. Are you with me today? So the scripture says that not only did he march it around town and tell of the goodness of God, scripture says he gets home and he gets to the table. He moves all the pottery barn stuff over. (laughs) And he sticks that head right in the house nasty old dirty head just sitting in the house because he he knew this look I don't just want us to feel the deliverance and the presence of God just at church I want us to experience God's victory in our homes we can't just come to church God is so good at church and he's for me and he's fighting our battles and he's got our victory and we feel it here God wants us to have that same experience in our homes And so we got to put those heads on our homes and say, look at God's delivered us before he can do it again. Can I get an amen? So he's going to all the neighbors, not this like, hey, come over, look at my new mower. He's like, you got to come over here and see this gross head in this house. Because he wants everybody to know that lust and pride and unforgiveness and all of those things, jealousy, addiction, I've decapitated it. The problem is we patty cake our Goliaths a little too much. We got all these cute little excuses for why we allow these Goliaths to live in our home. Well, it's always been in our family and it's just a struggle for generations in our family. And so, you know, we wish we could cut its head off, but right now, you know, we're going to just kind of tolerate it. It's going to live in. 
Or we say things like, well, I'm in a really busy season right now, and I really wish we could decapitate this thing that's ruining my life and our family. I really wish I could handle this thing, but we're in a really busy season, so I'll get to that Goliath later. Or we say things like, you know, I'm kind of one of those guys who need to just process everything on my own. I like to figure things out my own way. So accountability and groups and structure, you know, that's not really my thing. So let me just handle it. Me and Goliath will work this out on ourselves. Or we say things like, you know, this Goliath, you know, I, I don't really do it as much as I used to. It's every once in a while, just when I'm stressed or, you know, and then that's, we make all these excuses. Instead of decapitating it, we justify it. And it destroys what God is trying to do in our homes. Can I get an amen? The book of Isaiah gives us this amazing promise. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall rise up a standard against him. But the scripture also says that we're co-laborers with God. So I want you to hear it like this today. When the enemy, when the Goliath, when the giant comes at you, the spirit of God raises up a standard and we can co-labor with that spirit. That's you saying, Oh, I see that Goliath. There's that temptation again. Here comes that, that pressure of, of, of doubt and lack of self-worth. Here comes that Goliath that's going to whisper in my ear. And I want to overindulge and I want to medicate and I want to do all these other things. Here it comes. But then you go, wait a second. The Spirit of God promises me that when that enemy comes at me, he raises up a standard and I can co-labor setting a standard against it. Can I get an amen? You don't have to live in defeat. You can live as a person who decapitates your Goliath. I wrote it down like this. Giant killers are those who partner with the Spirit of God to raise up a standard. It's time for the church not to raise up in judgment. We know what it's like to see Christians be arrogant and prideful. That's not raising up a standard. That's arrogance. I'm talking about being people who in love can raise up a standard. Co-laboring with God and saying, hey, there's a standard. I love you too much to watch you go to hell. Are you with me today? I'm out of time, but I really want us to catch this thought of you're not subject to allowing Goliath what he wants. They showed up on the valley, right? And he's out here talking his thing. And they're all going like, we, sh- we can't do anything about it. Do you want to do I don't want to do it. Who wants to do Nobody wants to. All right, we're going to, he's going to get us. Like they were, they were allowing. And I think Christians are backed into that same ditch right now. They're hearing all the voices and all the big noises. And they're going like, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do this? Should we let, let's co-labor with God and raise up a standard against our enemy. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you love and lead us. God, I thank you for every man in here and woman. But I thank you for the dads that are going to walk in the things that you've called us to. God, the heart of a giant killer. Lord, help us live out these principles that you've shown us in your scripture. I thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen.